I started moonwalking over there. It was so good. That was, not, that was a little scary, you know what I mean? <clears throat> good to see you guys. Uh, we're in the dog days of summer, but we're still here to worship every Sunday. It's good to have you here. Um, my name is Joe Davis. I'm the pastor here. We're continuing with our series on the life of Joseph. We've titled it Surviving Egypt. For those of you that haven't been here, Egypt is a metaphor for the world around us. Egypt is a metaphor for all the things in life that, that keep us from being able to follow Christ and all those burdens that we carry and the obstacles. Uh, but this week, I told you guys last week that I really wanted to preach this sermon last week. But last week was really good. But I hope this week, I've entitled this one, Pharaoh Gets It. Um, so in a way of introduction, have you ever had the thrill of teaching someone something and then witnessing that moment where they got it and they felt the joy of getting it, the success of getting it? Well, listen to this story, all right? This is my first season as a football coach. I'm like 19 and three quarters. <laughs> so I start off my first career job as a football coach is I'm working with the second and third teams on the JV squad of a very big successful program in Tampa, my hometown. So I'm working with the second and third place offensive teams. I'm the offensive coordinator, very fancy title, for a bunch of 12 and 13 year olds who'd never played football before. <laughs> so each day after the stretches and all the fundamental drills, the head coach of that JV team would send all those players over with me into assistance, into another field, the small field. But that's okay, because I loved coaching. And we began to teach these young players how to play the game. At the beginning of the season, it was a little bit of a mess. But what we did is we took our jobs. I took the offense. The other assistants would take the defense. And we would scrimmage the rest of the practice, teaching them the plays and the signal calls, how to read a defense, the right way to play your position. I was working with the running backs and the receivers and the quarterbacks, you know. And I remember as we're working on this every day in practice, they're making a lot of progress. And I remember about three weeks into the season, at practice, it all started to click for them, and the light came on. And then there was a game where the first team was playing really bad. And the head coach yells, Coach Davis, the second team's going in, and you're calling plays. Oh, boy. <clears throat> Our kids were so excited. The coaches were, too. We were ready to show what we had learned together, coach and team. I was fired up. They were fired up. I'm getting ready to call double reverses, long bombs. I'm going to be all the fancy plays, right? The first play that was a penalty for a false start. That's okay. Five yards back. It's all right. Second play, we lost 15 yards. The third play, we fumbled, and the other team returned it for a touchdown. Coach Davis, first team's going back in. <laughs> they, we, were certain that we were ready. We knew we had taught them well. But the fact is, we weren't even close. Luckily, today's story from the life of Joseph is actually the spiritual antithesis of that story. It's about how Pharaoh actually hears truth from God 
for the first time, he immediately gets it, and it actually transforms not only his life, but the path of an entire country. And frankly, because it was the dominant empire in the world at that time, the path of the entire world. Let's look at the passage today from Genesis chapter 41. Read this passage. <clears throat> this proposal, if you remember from last week, Joseph says, here's what your dreams mean. And the proposal is you have to have somebody over the land to make sure that the famine doesn't kill everyone. Have somebody over the land to manage all the food in the seven years of plenty so that when the seven years of famine come, you can survive it. And this proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand, clothed him with garments of fine linen, then put a gold chain around his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot. And they called out before Joseph, bow the knee as he's riding through town. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zapaneth Paneah, and he gave him in marriage Aseneth, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. So like we do at Grace Life, we look at three applications of each scripture. History, what about man? What did he do and why and how did he do it? Theology, spiritual, what about God? What does he do? And then, and only then, can you understand the personal. What about me? What am I supposed to do with this? I want to talk about Pharaoh's new best friend. <clears throat> I want you to see what Pharaoh does. Is he gives Joseph some very significant trinkets of honor. Immediately, Pharaoh recognizes there is something different going on with this Hebrew even though he was accused rapist and in prison, he sees there's something different. He senses, Pharaoh does, that there's something supernatural happening between Joseph and his God. <coughs> he says, <coughs> excuse me, can we find anyone else like this? Someone with the spirit of God on him? And so what happens is Pharaoh immediately gives Joseph incredible honor with visible images and trinkets that were reserved for people with authority equal to his. Gives him his ring, a gold chain, gives him the second chariot, gives him a wife. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But here's what happens. Joseph was just in prison, remember? And before he came to Pharaoh, they had to take him and clean him up because he was a mess. Beard was long, he was scraggly, he probably smelled, he had bad clothes. They had to clean him up, put a white robe on him and shave all his hair and make him look good before he went to Pharaoh. He goes from prison to being clean-shaven in a white robe, to having the king's ring, a gold chain, a beautiful jacket, and the second-best chariot in all the land. And the scripture says, as he's riding this chariot, another dream comes true. Do you remember Joseph told his brothers and his dad, you know, one day, <clears throat> all you guys are going to bow a knee to me. And he was kind of stupid and arrogant for sharing it like that, you know, because they got mad and sold him into slavery. <laughs> it didn't work out good for him. But he gives Joseph this unprecedented authority over every administration matter in his kingdom. And Pharaoh commands that when Joseph's chariot rode by, 
people would be commanded to bow the knee. It's exactly what Joseph had dreamed before. Stunning, though, <clears throat> that now this Hebrew prisoner has total strangers bowing their knee to him as he rides through on this chariot. Remember that dream? He said, all of you, my brothers and my dad, you're all going to bow the knee along with everyone else in the land. God has used Pharaoh to make this dream come true. But then that's not enough. <coughs> he gives Joseph a new name. Remember, Joseph's name had been sullied, destroyed, frankly, by false accusations of rape, being sold into slavery. He had spent years in jail. He did not have a good name. <clears throat> not only does Pharaoh say, I'm wiping away your old name, I'm giving you a new name that will serve as a reminder to all of Egypt what God has done with you today. And this name is Zapanath Paneah. And let me just explain to you, that's not really what the, Hebrew, what, the, what the Egyptian name was. It's close. But what the Hebrew people would do is they were always adjusting for them names because, frankly, <clears throat> an Egyptian name really couldn't be spelled out in Hebrew. So they changed it phonetically just a little bit. I mean, it's kind of like today. Even today, uh, people who come, for example, to America from other countries will change their name. I have a friend of mine. His name is Roger. And he's from India. I said, what is your real name? He goes, Raj. He goes by Roger. So that's kind of what happens here. But this name has changed a little bit just so it can be read, not only in Hebrew, but frankly in English. Because a Hebrew audience would not have understood it. So the scribes make some substantial changes to the spelling and transcribing it. So the best guess of what this name means is revealer of secrets. So he goes from being Joseph, accused rapist, to Joseph, bow the knee to the revealer of secrets pretty fascinating. <clears throat> Whatever this name meant, and we're pretty sure it meant that. It could have meant some other things, but <clears throat> they're all good. It's clear that Pharaoh gave Joseph a name that wiped away all the old baggage. And then something fascinating happens. He gives Joseph a pagan priest's daughter. The priest of On, his daughter, is given to Joseph as a wife. Now, let me, let me explain something to you. If you are a pagan country. What pagan means is basically you worship creation instead of creator. Instead of worshiping the God who created the mountains, you'll worship the mountain. Instead of worshiping the God who created the sun, you'll worship the sun. The first most important thing as a pagan that you would worship is the sun. It brings you warmth. It brings you light. It affects the weather. The sun is every aspect of your life. So the most important priest in Egypt would be the high priest of the God of the Son, which was what On was. Think of what this communicates. Pharaoh gives the daughter of the most important priest to this Hebrew, Joseph, who's now named Revealer of Secrets, <clears throat> as a wife. A high-ranking pagan priest of sun worship has his daughter given to Joseph, who worships Jehovah. First of all, what's, what's the priest thinking? And other people maybe. Pharaoh, if you give the sun god's priest daughter to a Hebrew, the sun god is going to be really angry. I would imagine Pharaoh says, yeah, I'm not worried. The sun god has no answers for me when I was looking for them, remember? But Joseph's god did. It is not insignificant who he gives to Joseph as a wife. 
It is a public declaration that Joseph and his God are now a fixture in Egyptian culture and society. In many respects, he has elevated Joseph and his God higher than all other pantheon of pagan gods that ruled Egyptian society. Imagine what's going on in Joseph's heart and mind as he witnesses God doing all this in Pharaoh's heart. I mean, Joseph made it very clear at the beginning. Pharaoh says, I heard you can interpret dreams. And Joseph says, no, I can't. It's God that will do it through me. <clears throat> he made it very clear where all this was coming from. And it's very clear to me that in all of this, it's not just that Pharaoh was honoring Joseph. With the name he was given, because Joseph said, look, it's God who reveals the secrets. The wife he was given, the authority he was given, Pharaoh is doing his very best as a pagan king to honor Joseph and his God. It's pretty fascinating what develops here. And can you imagine what Joseph's thinking? All I did <clears throat> was tell him what God said, and look what's happening. It's almost as if, and I'm, I'm speculating here just a little bit, but bear with me. I did a lot of reading and research on this this week. It's almost as if Pharaoh became a believer. I can't say for sure, but I know this. Pharaoh did not know who Jehovah was beforehand. Now he knows. And the only guy in his country that believes in him, he's put second in charge. He takes the high priest of the most important God and gives him to Pharaoh's, his daughter gives him to, gives him to Joseph as a wife. There's clearly something happening here as Pharaoh is elevating Joseph and his faith. So that's the historical. What about the spiritual? What about God? What does he do? I want to talk about how Pharaoh actually trusts God. But before we do that, you have to understand what we as humans have. We have something we like to call natural understanding. It's important to understand that this shift in trusting God's word, it is not a result of Pharaoh's intelligence. Pharaoh's spiritual epiphany to trust God's word was not his own. Everything about his life in Egypt raged against spiritual understanding. They relied upon dreams. They relied upon pagan gods. They relied upon magic. They relied upon all these things. Joseph comes in, has about five to ten minutes to talk about God, and boom, Pharaoh's putting all his faith and hope and trust and the welfare of his entire empire in the words of Joseph, not only the words of Joseph, but the ability of Joseph to administrate it. As a matter of fact, we have a verse in 1 Corinthians 2.14. I love this one. <clears throat> the natural person, in other words, the person outside of God intervening, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. Sound right? A lot of people think this God stuff is stupid foolishness. And the natural man is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. What he's saying is the spiritual truth that Pharaoh received that Joseph shared, these aren't intellectual pursuits. They are spiritual ones. Although they stand up to intellectual scrutiny, they are not arrived at through intellect. For the most part, people, us, we are predisposed to rely upon our own understanding. The heart of man likes to think he knows it all, but understanding spiritual truth is not naturally instinctive to us. We think it is. We would like it to be, but it's not. Instead, we are prone to base our wisdom on tangible, 
earthly, natural things we can see, touch, experience, or our own intellect can comprehend. It's very hard to put your faith and trust in something you don't understand when left to yourself. So that's our natural understanding. But then we have this revealer of secrets. It's not Joseph. It's God. Joseph made it very clear who it was that was speaking to Pharaoh, that it was God, not him. And it is interesting that Pharaoh gives a name to Joseph that likely meant revealer of secrets. It's exactly what Joseph said God was doing, exactly who Joseph said God is. Matter of fact, there's another example of this in the story of Daniel. I'll preach that one year. It's a long one. Daniel chapter 2, the couple verses 21 and 22 He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep. This is God. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. In Job 32.8, another great story. But it is the spirit in man, the breath of the Almighty, that makes him understand. God is the revealer of secrets. Even though Joseph gets the name, it's God that revealed the truth, and Pharaoh knows this because Joseph made it very clear on more than one occasion. Matter of fact, in verse 39, he says, since God has shown you all this, Pharaoh says that to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, I'm going to call you revealer of secrets. I'm naming you after your God. Wow. So we understand The idea of our natural understanding, we understand who God is, the revealer of secrets. Here's the fun part. God controls the heart. Yet in all this, it's pretty incredible what's going on with the dream and the famine. Pharaoh does not get it without God intervening. Proverbs 21.1. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Isn't that a great image? And it's not just the king's heart. It's our heart. When God wants you to get it, you're going to get it. Even if you don't want to get it. (laughs) (laughs) Pharaoh immediately puts trust in Joseph's words and his counsel, puts him in charge of famine relief. And through Joseph, God blesses the whole world, thereby confirming his word to Abraham's family that in you all nations will be blessed. And he solidifies that he is trustworthy because the famine did come and go, just like God said it would. Church, this is one of the most miraculous, stunning events in human history. How does this happen? How does a pagan king with no previous information teaching or knowledge of Jehovah, have one session with a Hebrew accused rapist who just barely gets his beard shaved in time to be in front of him, shares the truth, and Pharaoh says, yeah, good job, prisoner. I'm putting you in charge of everything. And I'm naming you after your God. You are now revealer of secrets. And not only that, I have so much confidence in your God. Hey, uh, priest of the sun God, I'm taking your daughter, giving him to this guy because he worships Jehovah. It's pretty amazing. I am certain, I am certain this was not the last time Pharaoh wanted to hear from Joseph's God. How many times do you think he went back to that well? (laughs) 
Are we doing it right, Joseph? What's God say about this week? Should I take the over? Some of you might get that. I speculate over the next 20 years, Pharaoh became pretty reliant upon God's truth, especially as he saw all of it play out. He probably went back time and time again because God had allowed Pharaoh at that very first point before everything comes true. This is before the seven years of plenty, before the famine. Joseph says, I believe what you are saying. I'm trusting you. That is supernatural. I mean, the response should have been, you're a stupid Hebrew. Why would I believe you? But instead is, I believe you. You're now in charge of everyone else. So let's talk about the personal. What about us? What do we do and why and how do we do it? I want to talk about truth intervention. So this was our social media campaign this week. Each time a soul trusts the word of God, it is a precious miracle from heaven, worthy of jubilation from God's people. <clears throat> so first of all, is it just me that finds his mind wandering when I try to read the Bible or pray? Is it just me? How many times have y'all prayed and then the dear God and then, oh yeah, I've got a, oh, dear God. How many, I, I probably start prayer over every day, probably eight times, right? I don't know why I just don't realize God knows I started. I can just pick up where I left off like I'm watching a show on TV. God has DVR, prayer DVR, I'm assuming. I don't know, he records it, season pass, whatever. You know why that is? It's because Egypt, why is that, ADD, is that what you're saying? I have a better reason, but that's, it's because Egypt is filled with noise that makes it difficult to hear God. Egypt is really good at making it utterly impossible to hear and trust God's word. It's filled with shiny objects that say, look over here. Don't listen to that. But I want to talk about those moments that by God's grace, he breaks through all the noise of Egypt with circumstances that force you to listen. Normally, when this intervention takes place, some people call them God moments, I don't know. But when this intervention takes place, the impact is usually widespread, long-lasting, and quite spectacular, like it was with Pharaoh. These are the times when God shows up. People don't normally find themselves in a God moment that doesn't impact them substantially. And what happens, I love this verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, that's Egypt, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And you know, it's easy for us to be amazed at the story of how a pagan king embraced God's word through Joseph. It really is, frankly, an amazing story. I'm going to go a step further and tell you that each time any human heart and mind relents its own control to spiritual truth that is the antithetical to what Egypt has been teaching them their whole life, it's the same dramatic process we see with Pharaoh. 
it is supernatural. It is always personalized. It is always intimate interaction between Heavenly Dad and his chosen children. And it brings me chills and goosebumps every time I see or hear about it. It's that moment that you hear suddenly, very differently, something you've probably heard millions of times before about Jesus and the gospel and Christ and dying and resurrection. Most people in America have probably heard the story, scoffed at it, or maybe just slept through it or slopped it off. But then one day, God intervenes, forces you to hear it, forces you to listen, and you hear it differently for the first time, and it totally changes your trajectory of life. It is what we like to call open eyes and ears. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. It's that moment that the Spirit of God reaches down and flips on a light in your heart that opens your eyes. It's that moment God opens a spiritual frequency, if you will, that you had never been able to hear with natural ears before. It is a heavenly dog whistle for your soul. And the result of these open eyes and ears is what I like to call spiritual understanding. It's the antithesis of the natural understanding that we started with. Proverbs 3, chapter 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own natural understanding. That's what we tend to do. I got to tell you, each time a soul abandons his or her understanding... It's a miraculous act of the Holy Spirit. Whether it's a king or a baker, a president or a prisoner, the miracle of heart intervention is absolutely incredible. I love these stories. You know where I hear them every week? I hear them every week at Grace Life Recovery. It's one of the reasons I never, ever miss when I'm in town. I love hearing stories about miraculous interventions into people's hearts and lives. People who were dominated by the wisdom and understanding of Egypt, who one day all of a sudden, bam, God says, no, that's not how you're going to be anymore. It's what God used to draw me to ministry when I was 19. I can't get enough of watching these moments. These moments where a person abandons their own understanding of spiritual truth to trust what God has given them ears to hear and eyes to see. Do you remember that moment? That word you had heard over and over and over again in your life finally meant something? That day you heard about the cross and for the first time it clicked and you saw Oh, that was for me. And boy, do I need it. Nothing is more exciting for this pastor than the moment a person hears and understands a loving God for the first time. Not a religious one, a loving one. The moment your heart, your mind, and your soul let go of your own idea of spiritual truth 
and eternity, and you cast headlong without any apprehension, headfirst, your trust into the arms of a loving God who is saying to you, hey, I have the healing and redemption you are craving. I have the answers that you need. I'm the one that has the purpose for life that you have actually been grappling and searching for. I have everything you need for abundant eternal life. It is time today immediately for you to put your trust in me. For each of us, that moment is just as spectacular, just as miraculous, and just as impactful as it was for a pagan king, Pharaoh. Heavenly Dad, we are so glad that you intervened and allowed us to hear truth like we'd never heard it before. We're so thankful for those moments that truth, through circumstances that you bring about, through our time, our schedule, our necessities, our tragedy, our triumphs, whatever it is you bring, you bring us to a point where we say, I've got to hear something different. And you say, funny you'd ask, I have what you need. What you did for Pharaoh is a great picture of what you're doing for each one of us each and every day. And Lord, I know there are two types of people here today. Some who point back and say, yeah, I remember that day where God gave me ears to hear for the first time. And there's some saying, wow, this sounds different than it did before. Maybe I need to listen. Listen.